Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 239 of Allied Strategies. My name is Tristan, joined as always by my friend Sam. Hello. And my friend Benjamin. Hello. This week, we are going to talk about our most favoritist decks ever and some of our least favoritist decks ever of all time. So that's going to be pretty cool. Um, in addition, We're take to... a stroll down memory lane, if you will. Yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> back to back to times of various decks that have either ceased to exist. M- most of the decks on this list aren't ones that you can really play anymore. Unfortunately, they're standard decks or they're decks that have banned cards in other formats. Um, but still, some of them actually are still around, so that's pretty cool. And we'll uh, we'll talk about those. Let's see. Other than that, have uh, either of you two been up to anything? Sam, you've been playing a little bit of Magic uh, over the past week? Yeah, I kind of took a break from Like, I didn't play in any of the big tournaments over the weekend or anything, but I, I had some fun. I've been playing with the the red-green. Uh, I guess it's Ponza, but it's really more of a mid-range deck in, in Modern, and that's been actually surprisingly fun. It's a an Obosh deck. Um, I've, I've been having a good time with that. And uh, Caroline played in a uh, in a, a fun looking pioneer deck in a tournament that she played in that you know I, I birded a lot of. That was a uh, a Jeskai Fires deck with just sort of a random assortment of seven and eight mana planeswalkers that it killed with. Like it was playing a Nickel Bolus that it couldn't cast, and just sort of this bizarre assortment of cards. And it was pretty fun to bird that. Yeah, I've been playing against some Fires decks in Standard even that have included. Some cards they couldn't cast, like some ultimatums uh, and the like, at the at the high end of the curve. Oh yeah, her her deck was a Fae of Wishes deck, so the wishboard was mostly card. Like it had two different ultimatums, only one of which she was actually able to tap her lands to cast. Does Planner Celebration count as an ultimatum? Uh, yeah, kind of. It's kind of a build your own ultimatum. Yeah, I've been playing some Team of Reclamation on uh, Arena Standard Ladder. Because I kind of wanted to play some Standard. But... How, how has that been? Is that fun? Yeah, it's okay. I don't know. It's uh, it, it's frustrating because the Arena is a little inconsistent about when it'll you need to use you know full control and stops to have your Reclamation work and when you don't. Um, it's just... it's. I, don't know, I think I've got the hang of it, but I'm basically just always using the stops now. Um, a couple times, though, I've you know just been shocked that it didn't give me priority in my end step. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Standard, it's it's a little weird. Like, it feels it feels like almost everything is. I, I, actually, it, it kind of feels like there's less companions in standard than from what I've seen in other formats, because uh, there are a few decks running around. Like my deck doesn't include a companion. A few of the other ones I've played against don't either, but uh, almost everything I've seen when I've tuned into like streams playing Modern or Pioneer or whatever, it's all it's all uh, com- companions all the way down. That makes sense, though, right? Because the deck building restrictions in older formats are less punishing. Right, that does make sense. Uh, but on the other hand, yeah, I guess the the companions' power level is you know relatively higher and standard than it is in older formats, right? I think the way that they designed these companions, they scale pretty well into the older formats. Like, Luris, you just are casting more powerful zero ones and twos than you were in standard, so it kind of scales up there. And, like, you're in, you're blinking. You know, you have more permanents in play that, say, draw a card when you blink them. 
so it scales up there just fine. And I think those are the ones that are big that that have shown up big with like a smattering of Obosh and stuff like that. Yeah, Obosh quite a quite a big hit in standard as well. There's the quite a few people playing the um, like Rakdos and Mono Black odd decks around it. Yeah, I watched uh, Jacob Wilson play that to to, to top eight finish in the. Uh, Magic Fest online thing, and uh, I talked to him a little bit about that deck. He, he'd been he he really liked it. Yeah, it does uh does seem pretty powerful. I I don't know. I, I'm I'm still pretty hesitant about commander or sorry companions as a whole in older formats. I'm <clears throat> I don't know. Like it, it hasn't gotten super stale yet. Watching those games, and I haven't been playing a lot of them myself, but I'm certainly um. It seems like the format is going to continue. Those formats are going to continue to be dominated by them for indefinitely. Yeah, like give it three months and you'll be sick of playing against freaking Luris every single game. Yeah, Luris mirrors in particular, I found are incredibly stressful. I've been I play in addition to the modern deck I've been playing. I've been playing a little bit of green black splashing some color. I've tried a couple different colors, uh, mid range and pioneer with Luris with like Grim Flare and Thoughtseize and stuff. And every mirror, it's always like you really you have this Luris looming over your head that you're like, yeah, I have to save a kill spell or like some graveyard hate to deal with or else I'll get just totally messed up by it. And it really kind of can twist the game around itself. Like it feels disproportionately impactful for just being one card in a way that I think will wear out its welcome fairly quickly because it's also pretty stressful because you just get buried so badly if you mess up there and like they get to have an uncontested Luris. Yeah, and it's 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 not really one of those cards where you can imagine, you know, another card being printed that makes it go away. Like due to the nature of the companion mechanic. Yeah, the the cost is not that high, like especially in something like modern where it's just like, yeah, I only wanted to play with one and two mana permanents anyway. Those are, those are the good ones. I wanted to play with Mishra's Baubles and Tarmogoyf and Delver, whatever the things are. Uh, or like in Burn, I only, like Burn just didn't play any three mana creatures to begin with. So they, they maybe they don't get to play with Blood Moon or Ensnaring Bridge in their sideboard, but it's just not that big a deal. Yeah, so I'm, uh, I don't know, I, I'm, I guess I'm, expecting and kind of waiting now for a ban on like Luris and modern um Luris I think also uh real quick he was I think he was in if I if I remember my count correctly 37 of the uh combined top 16 vintage and top 32 legacy decks from the last challenge yikes that's quite yeah a lot. he's just been I think he's just been absolutely dominant in in both of those formats. Will it be the first non dexterity non Shaharazad card to get banned in vintage? No. You don't believe they'll ban it? No, I just like contract from below is banned and it doesn't have anything to do with dexterity or Shaharazad. Anti though, right? It, yeah. Did you say anti? Oh, did I forget anti? Okay, you did. Ooh. Wow. Is there something? I, is there anything that's not anti dexterity or Shahrazad that's banned in vintage? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, so we'll get to. It'll be soon. It'll be anti dexterity, Shahrazad, and companion. It is unfortunate that restricting it does literally nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it depends. Also, if you count, uh, I guess, like 
um, conspiracies are not legal, but that's rude. Those were never like banned so much as just not added to the format's legal list. But that does kind of it's kind of a similar thing, actually. Yeah, they like there's no real reason that they couldn't work in companion or in uh, in vintage, but they are banned. So okay. or they 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 are not made to function within the rules. All right, let us advance with our show by thanking our illustrious friends and good friends of the podcast over at Patreon.com for supporting our show. The illustrious friends are Kiki Jiki, Kyle, uh, Jecha MT, Baptiste, Bobby, and the good friends are Adam, Zach, Britton, Kyle, Caroline, Eric, Sam, Duncan, Wilson, Tobias, Paul, Jarvis, Copper, you, Beep, Boosha Therapy, Greg, Hot Soup, Ari, Ari, Rob, Matthew, Brent, Moose is about the shenanigans detector, Baptiste Jr., Winchester, and Will. Thanks for the support. Let us move on to card of the week. Benjamin, what is your card of the week? My card of the week is Fires of Yavimaya. Fires of Yavimaya is an enchantment for one, a red, and a green. Creatures you control have haste, and you can sacrifice Fires of Yavimaya to give target creature plus two, plus two until end of turn. Now, since today's episode is about, you know, old decks that we happen to like or dislike or whatever, I thought I would bring Fires of Yavimaya, Fires of Yavimaya up as it was the linchpin card of the first deck that I actually tried to build for, like, FNM, like, the first, like, competitive, real meta deck that I ever built, I would say. And, like, at the time, people were playing, like, Shivan Worm, which was, like, a 7-7 trample for 5 mana with a drawback. That card so, blew my mind. I almost picked that as my card of the week when you put fires because <laughs> of how much I was into Shivan Worm when I was a kid. Yeah, so like that was one of the best creatures around at the time. Well, I guess Flame Tongue Kava was really the best creature around at the time, and Psych Talk. But uh, so yeah, it was like this red green aggro deck which would play Saperling Cluster and Fires of Yavimaya, um, which could just make a bunch of power because uh, Saperling Cluster. Oh boy, okay, it, it comes into play with seven fading counters on it, and you can remove a fading counter from it to create a token whose power and toughness is equal to the number of fading counters on it. And then at the beginning of your upkeep, you always remove a fading counter from it. So with Fires of Yavimaya, you can attack them for like 15 or something. No, wait, 12. Right? Yeah, 12. Just make three four, hasty 4-4s four with it. Yeah, um, that, that card's a lot more powerful when your guys all have haste. Yeah. Yeah, because otherwise it would be, they'd be 3-3s three attacking on their first turn, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this was like the first the first deck that I like tried to acquire cards for in order to build that I saw that I read about in Scry magazine. Wow. You are really old. Yeah. I, I remember Scry magazine. I, I was more of a fan of the duelist personally, but they're both good. Alright, Sam, what is your card of the week? My card of the week is Luca Coppercoat Outcast. It's three red red for a legendary planeswalker Luca that comes in with five loyalty. And it has plus one, exile the top three cards of your library. Creature cards exile this way gain. You may cast this card from exile as long as you control a Luca, Luca planeswalker. Minus two, exile target creature you control, then reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a creature card with higher converted mana cost. Put that card onto the battlefield and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. 
and minus seven. Each creature you control deals damage equal to its power to each opponent. Um, and this is a card that has been breaking out huge in standard for one thing. It's been, uh, you know, it's been showing up a lot as a uh, a way to, mostly to cheat out Agent of Treachery has been the, the thing that people have been doing with it. They've been playing with, you know, uh, the White Castle and um, and Birth of Miletus as ways to make tokens, and then you polymorph them into Agent of Treachery, uh, typically with Teferi on board as well, so that your opponent can't use a removal spell to break it up. Um, but I've been playing it in Modern, in the red-green mid-range deck I was talking about with Obosh, uh, and it's actually been really good for me. The the first league I played with the deck, um, I copied it from, uh, oh, what's his name? He just top aided a PT. Uh, anyway, I copied it from somebody on the internet and I was having troubles with flooding out cause it's like got 22 lands and four mana elves and four utopia sprawls. And I, I felt like that was a problem, but Luca is really good at making sure you never flood out. And also, uh, it's minus two ability in, in the deck I've been playing puts a Glorybringer into play every time. And uh, it's often really powerful to be able to do that, you know, multiple times a game. In, in particular, if you untap with Luka and you can cast Obosh and then put Glorybringer into play because it kills basically anything when, once it's dealing eight. So I, I've been quite impressed with this card. I think it's pretty strong. And I think it would be pretty strong even in standard if you were just using it fairly, even if you weren't, ha- you know, didn't have like Agent of Treachery to cheat out. So I think this card is really sweet. Yeah, I've seen some cool tweets from you about some of the stuff that you've been doing with it. Uh, my favorite tweet, though, was the person who sorcerer spyglassed an even-numbered casting cost card against your Obosh deck. Yeah, that was that was quite something. Uh, I didn't post the follow-up, but they later sorcerer spyglassed Karn the Great Creator as well. Ah. They first, first they named Chandra Torch of Defiance, and then they named Karn the Great Creator. <laughs> Against the deck with Obosh in the Companion Zone. I did have Obosh in the Companion Zone, yes. It was unlikely I was going to control one of those Planeswalkers. Hmm. Maybe they thought that you were cheating Agent of Treacheries into play, and they were playing those cards. That's possible. I've also heard it suggested that perhaps it was a performance art piece protesting Companions. Ooh, I like that. That's, that absolutely is what it could be. All right, my card of the week is a Companion. It's Karuga the Macrosage. Uh, and my card of the week here is actually based on our discussion last week about companions in draft. Um, and Karuga the Macrosage is actually the one... So there's this tweet from at 17 lands uh, about companions' percentage win rates in main deck and inside, or as a companion. And Karuga is the one to me that actually has the least impressive numbers here. Um, so it actually it has the lowest win rate of any of the companions as a companion, except for Yorion uh, at 48%. And it also only has a 50% win rate when it's in your main deck, um, which, so this is just a card that, in draft is what we're talking about here, has really not actually been a good decision, it looks like, to include in your decks all that often, uh, which is kind of, it was initially surprising to me, but then I remembered, you know, playing with and against Garuga, you know, missing that two drop actually really costly. I do think, though, that it's probably, it probably should just be, I don't know, winning games in the main deck more than 50.8% of the time. Like a 5-mana, five 5-4 five, draw card seems like a pretty good card. Yeah, that, that was the part I found most surprising as well. That just might not like, be what the format's about. Like, you know, big Gorilla Sages or whatever, Gorilla Shaman. 
I don't know when I when I've had that card in my deck, it's felt really good. Yeah, me like, too. You just sometimes it's not because it's not capped at drawing one. Like it's not that hard to just go three drop, four drop, draw two. Your your stuff doesn't get removed in limited nearly as often as it does in constructed. Yorion mm -hmm. uh, also a, a card though that has a sub forty five percent win rate in companion. So that was exactly as you predicted, Sam. Uh, given your like you were you were off that thing, but it does have one of the highest win rates when it's not your companion when it's just in your main deck. So uh, pretty I mean, it's cool just like there. Air elemental plus plus, right? Yeah, exactly. Just don't trick yourself, I guess, into companioning companioning it. I don't even know what the verb is for that, but don't trick yourself into putting that thing in your companion zone. Companionize. Yeah. Campaigning, I think. Oh yeah, campaigning. That's nice. Yeah. All right, um, let's move on, I guess, to talking about some of our most favoritest decks ever. Uh, I've picked a lot less than you guys, so we'll do like two from two each from you guys and then one from me, and then that, if we keep that pace up, it'll probably get all the way through. Uh, so Sam, why don't you start off by telling us about one of your favoritest decks of all time? All right, uh, first off, I'll, I'll start with Red-White Aggro. Um, this was in uh, the, the first, like, Cons of Tarkir had just been released in Standard, and this was a deck that used Goblin Rabble Master, Hordling Outburst, Stoke the Flames, Lightning Strike, uh, Seeker of the Way, and Chain to the Rocks was sort of a, one of the foundational pieces. That was sort of why you were playing White in your and, and Stormbreath Dragon in your uh, in your you know red white aggro deck. Uh, and I thought this deck was super fun to play. Um, Stormbreath Dragon was very very well positioned at the time. Because, like, Hero's Downfall wasn't that popular. People were playing more Abzan Charms as a result. And that card was just an absolute powerhouse against people who were leaning too hard on Abzan Charm as their removal. Um, I, I had a really fun time playing this deck. And it was one of the decks that taught me a lot about sideboarding. Like, I thought the deck became really strong. Because post-board, you could just sideboard into a bunch of Planeswalkers. And really sidestep a lot of the cards people would use to beat your Goblin Rabble Master Hordling Outburst plans. You could use, like, Elspeth, uh, the, the six-mana Elspeth. There was a four-mana Chandra in that format that was pretty strong. It wasn't not Chandra Torture Defines. I don't remember. I think Chandra Pyromaster. Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah, that deck was just a ton of fun and I thought had some some good lessons to teach about, uh, about like, the importance of having a post-board versus pre-board plan. I remember losing to Nathan Holiday playing that deck at a Grand Prix. But yeah, and... I don't remember what I was playing. Nathan and I played both played that deck at Grand Prix Denver, and I think he he missed top eight by one win, and I, I ended up losing in the top four. Um, and then I also played it at a a Star City Invitational back when those used to be feasible for me to go to, and uh, and had had a good time there with it as well. Goblin Rabble Master is like one of my favorite cards ever made. I, I loved playing with Goblin Rabble Master, in particular with Stoke the Flames. Like I always thought it was super fun to like get the tricky, like get my Goblin, use it to cast Stoke so that it wouldn't suicide itself this turn, and then next turn maybe you could clear out another blocker so that, it, that all your Goblins could get through. Mm -hmm. I always thought those those kinds of tricks were pretty fun. Yeah, Rabble Master decks. Uh, <laughs> I agree, are something something special, something I'm very fond of. All right, Benjamin, pick a deck. Uh, one of my most favorite decks is called Brunch, affectionately. <laughs> was, uh, this one might show up in the least favorite decks for me. Oh my god, you're so you're such a fool. Um, 
it was like a mono red mid range deck um, that I played at a pro tour. It was like a lot of lands and treasure map to draw cards and add mana. Um, and like goblin chain whirler and four siege gang commanders and like a bunch of bane fires. And the idea of the deck was that, oh, and direfully daredevil, which is one of my all time favorite red cards. Um, and the idea of the deck was that you would just like be use your burn for like removal and you could control the game and you could get in chip damage until you would eventually finish your opponent off with like a bane fire. And that was like a pretty tough thing to interact with. Uh, and I like that deck a lot because it was not like a traditional red deck. Like it wasn't one of these like all in aggro decks, um, but it was more just like trying to control the game and use like really efficient creatures that could both block well and attack well and also provide card advantage at the same time. Um, you know, normally a red mid-range deck is weak because you don't have a way to to draw cards or to generate um, or like playing long games is tough sometimes. But Treasure Map and like Archivarazka and even Goblin Chain Whirler, they just give you card advantage. So I really enjoyed playing that deck because I thought I was I could I could. I was outplaying my opponents by just like understanding what was going on and they just did not understand what was going on. And I don't know. I just got into some really long, crazy, fun games with it. And I just really, really enjoyed playing with it. All right, Sam, would you like to rebuttal that with why it's in your least favoritist list? Yeah, I think that my problems with the deck stemmed from when you played against, I I like the things that Ben mentioned there. Like, feeling like you have a better plan than your opponent and you that you they maybe misunderstood the matchup. But I felt like when when you played against people who understood what was going on and understood the the ways in which your deck could be exploited, um, it was pretty brutal. And you didn't it didn't feel like you had a ton of agency because so many of your tools did the same thing. Like you don't have any unconditional removal, didn't really have any planeswalkers thing. Maybe we had like Karn in the sideboard, but it wasn't particularly good in the deck. It was just okay. Um, and it felt like you always were kind of stuck playing one spell a turn. I don't know. The, the, there were a lot of things that I found kind of distasteful about the deck, and I, I regretted playing it at that Pro Tour because we had a perfectly functional green-black deck that I would have loved to play, and I'm sure I would have played pretty well. Um, and I did well in Limited, so I think I kind of spewed off that one. It was surprising say... that it, it was enough to seduce you away from your, your one true love of your one true color combination love. Yeah. I I wouldn't say of my three decks that I've picked as my least favoritist decks, it's not, it's the, the least bad, but least, uh, least favoritist. Yeah. The least, least favoritist. Exactly. But it, it's not high on my list. I, I didn't love playing it. I thought it was, it was just okay. I do love Dire Fleet Daredevil though. I'll, I'll give it up for that. Dire Fleet Daredevil casting find was just one of my, Oh, God, it's just so great. You just cast Find, you get back like a Rekindling Phoenix and a Siege Gang Commander, and they're just like, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) All right, um, let's see. I'll go... Actually, Ben, why don't you pick another another one so that I don't... Because I only have a few. Okay, well, the next one on my list is a four-color rights deck. Um, So most people... Well, maybe not most people, but many people who listen to our podcast will probably remember... There's a black-green Cryptolith right deck with, like, Zulaport Cuthroat and, um, the, like, Westvale Abbey and Cryptolith right and Loam Dryad and Collected Company. 
And the idea is just like you would just put like a bunch of and catacomb s- sifter. You would just put a bunch of like nonsense creatures into play and like use them to generate a lot of mana and like activate Duskwatch Recruiter or like cast collected companies or Westvale Abbey. And you would kill people with Zulaport Cutthroat and Westvale Abbey. But the deck I'm talking about is like a four color rights deck, which was still like the Azulaport Cutthroat Cryptolithrite Collected Company deck. But it was also playing like a lot more comes into play effect creatures like Reflector Mage and Eldrazi Displacer. And there was even an Eldrazi Displacer combo in the deck with um, Brood Monitor. Uh, or Brood Monitor, when it entered play, created three Eldrazi Scions. And so you could just infinitely blink it with Eldrazi Displacer, which if you had Zulaport Cutthroat in play would kill your opponent. If you had Catacomb Sifter in play, you could you would get infinite scries. Um, and so the deck was really sweet. We almost played it at the Pro Tour, but we didn't because we, we didn't have a good sideboard for it. We found it too late. Like Languish was a huge problem for the deck. Uh, we figured out we figured out how to beat Languish when we added Reality Smasher, but but it was by then it was too late. That was like the week after the Pro Tour. Um, but a bunch of friends and I played the deck in like Grand Prix or um, Mox events that weekend, and we did really well. Uh, and the deck was just a huge blast to play. Eldrazi Displacer, much like Direfleet Daredevil, is one of my favorite cards of all time. And this was a deck that really featured Eldrazi Displacer highly. Uh, just it's very tricky in its ability to, um, you know, either stall your opponent or blink your own stuff. And with Cryptolith, right, you often had just so much mana that you could really exploit that. Um, and then also this deck was the source of one of the funniest things to happen that, or like one of the funnier things that I've seen on coverage. Someone, this was during coverage of a Mox. And someone was during the mocks. They they gave them like thirty extra minutes, or maybe there was no round timer or something. Uh, so this person had a bunch of time, and they had infinite scries, but they didn't have the kill. So they did infinite scries and wrote down the entire contents of their deck because it was <laughs> on Magic Online, not in paper. So in paper you could just do it with a shortcut, but in Magic Online you have to actually click through. So they infinite scry. They write down the entire contents of their deck in order. And then they scry to where they want to go. And then they pass the turn. And their opponent just untaps and like plays Kolagon's Command and burns them out. Like they just die. <laughs> so they, they wasted like 30 minutes of coverage time doing this. Which I, I think I, is really funny. I played this deck at a Grand Prix and it broke my uh, my no-draw streak, which was which made me very sad. Ooh, um, brutal. But it was, it was a fun deck anyway. Like... I, I did not feel bad about playing this, unlike the other deck I'm going to mention that broke my no-draw streak later in my least favoritist decks. Um, th- this deck, this deck I, I totally agree. This this deck felt like standard standard birthing pod to me in a lot of ways. Like it, it had a lot of sort of weird and weird finicky interactions, and you did a lot of scrying to try to find stuff, and it was just super fun. Honestly, I'm impressed with myself that only two of my decks that I have here have Eldrazi Displacer in them. Yeah. I have played a lot of decks with Eldrazi Displacer in them. <laughs> yeah, let's talk a little bit about Birthing Pod, because I, I would have put this on my list, but Sam is, uh, I think, definitely definitely has uh, divs on it. Tell, tell us about what you love about that deck, Sam. So, Birthing Pod, for, for one thing, it's part of like a lot of my favorite magic memories. It's part of... Uh, 
the first time I was there when a friend won a Grand Prix, which was Jacob at uh, Grand Prix Chicago, I beat him, I think, in like round 13. And then I lost the next two to miss top eight. He won the next two and made top eight and then won the whole thing. And that was like the first time someone I was super close with had like a huge like tournament result. And that was really fun. And so, you know, even though I, I was playing Birthing Pod, he wasn't. So it wasn't like super related to that, but that was really fun. Then the next tournament I played, I got, got to play Birthing Pod again. And I was like really confident. I was like, yeah, I'm just I'm just going to top eight this Grand Prix. And I had never done that before. Um, and I 9-0 day one. Like I didn't lose a, a match until I was locked for top eight at the time. And that also felt like, you know, really, really incredible and was really fun. Um, then also it was part of my first Pro Tour success. Uh, I, I cashed my first Pro Tour with it, and Jacob uh, that also made top eight of that Pro Tour, which was which was also really fun. Um, so that that's sort of like my history with the deck. And the reason I like it, I think, is just because it, it gave you so many options at, at so many times. You you could basically almost always find like a creature for a situation you found yourself in, and it, and maybe you weren't playing that creature, but you certainly could have been, or you could find a way to. And, and I always like that kind of deck building challenge. Like I remember for the PT, uh, we ended up adding Entumor Exarch to our deck as an anti-Tron card because it can discard non, uh, non-creature, non or it can discard any non-creature. It can discard lands from people's hands. And so often you would, you would pot up that one and be like, all right, I'll take your Tron piece. And they'd be like, you, you can't do that. What are you talking about? It's a discard spell. But actually you could. Um yeah, I love the like the unfettered access to your deck and feeling like, you know, as long as you played well, there was any there were like was any there was a way out of almost any situation. And I also really loved the scrappy Gavney Township, turn two, 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 turn three, three, two, just attack with my creatures every turn until you died kind of plans that you sometimes ended up in because your opponent was devoting resources to stopping you from comboing. Um, Gavin Township is just one of my all-time favorite cards to play with, and this was a deck that really used it well. Yeah, for me, I, I loved the like the five you know flex creature slots in the deck, and like both the deck building decision of of choosing what goes in there, and then the the gameplay around it. You know how how you change your gameplay based on what of those different cards you have in your deck, and uh, finding cool times to search for you know creatures for in unique situations. It felt like every game was, you know, different. Well, not every game. A lot of games were, you could just kill them. But a lot of games were pretty different from each other and felt like that you just had this, like, huge branching path of possibilities in front of you. I did really love playing Splinter Twin against Pod. That matchup was very fun. Yeah, that was a great matchup. Yeah, I, I enjoyed playing that a lot as well. It always felt like there were things both players could do to change, to meaningfully impact things. I don't actually have twin on my list, but that that matchup was always one that that felt very cool and interactive, even if I didn't play pod myself. Oh yeah, that one that one was really close to making my list as well. All right, my first deck here is Mono Green Devotion. Back in uh, I think it was I guess Dragons of Tarkir, and the following set as well. I think it was Magic Origins, maybe, or <laughs> I'm not I- sure. I played that uh, deck in Theros, but I don't think it was very good. Did you play it as mono green or not not red green? I thought that once Dragon Lord of Tarka came around, yeah, you basically like, everyone was playing red green. Right, red, it was red. You know, you, you were playing Dragon Lord of Tarka and like a little bit of other red stuff. Um, 
but it like Xenagos the Reveler. Um, that kind of action. And yeah, for, for me, this is like the, the first deck that I, you know, played for a season of Grand Prix and, you know, have the fond memories of driving around the, you know, the state and nearby states and flying to slightly further away states with my friends, leaving this thing up and, uh, and doing battle and having a, a couple of reasonably good Grand Prix results with it. So yeah, I, I, I don't know, this is a, a memory of the, I, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if the, the deck was particularly good gameplay you know, historically, but I found it to be really fun because it was the first time that I was like that, um, not that I was playing a deck that way. And I, I did enjoy the, I did enjoy the, you know, the ramping gameplay of it, uh, which is something that I've kind of always liked in standard. And the sequencing to maximize Nykthos math is always, uh... Yeah, I was a big fan of that, actually. That's one of my favorite play patterns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a deck that's good if you enjoy math. Yeah. yeah. Also, the Pelucranos math, like figuring out when to put it all on Pelucranos or when to like hold some mana back so you can double activate. Yeah, or um, bizarre. Yeah, du- double activating in, in like the the way that it works against like Jeskai Charm, putting it on top of your deck, where you know if you have ten mana, you can like X equals five it, or you can spend five mana on it twice, and there's no um, there's no way for them to avoid the fight because it's not actually a fight. Um, that was that was pretty fun. That came up for me in a, a day two of a Grand Prix. All right, um, Sam, choose another deck. All right, next up for me is Mardu Aristocrats. This was a uh, a, a Mardu deck that played with Doomed Traveler, Cartel Aristocrat, Falcon Wrath Aristocrat, Lingering Souls, Boros Reckoner. Um, and I think this is another deck where... The one-two that makes demons. I never played with that. I thought that card was pretty bad in the deck. I never played what? with that one, really. Ugh. Yeah, sorry, Ben. <clears throat> hate to be hate to be such a downer. Um, but uh, the reason that I like this deck was I think it was a sort of another example of, uh, of a switcheroo sideboard plan. Game one, you were sort of an aggressive beatdown y deck, even though your creatures were a little on the small side. Falconrath Aristocrat hit really hard, and Zealous Conscripts obviously also hits incredibly hard. And that's just one of my all time favorite creatures. I think that card's really fun and cool. It was so fun to, to steal an opponent's Planeswalker after they'd been like, you know, getting it carefully, oh, getting, getting it, to it up to ultimate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. you just, uh, actually, I'll take that ultimate for you. Don't mind um, if I do. Yeah, so I had a fantastic time playing this deck, and uh, it was the first time that I really felt like I made changes to a stock deck that meaningfully improved it. Um, everyone at the time was playing with Archangel's Sanctum, I think is the name of the card. The, the, Vault, oh, the, of the, the Vault of the Archangel, yeah. The black-white like activated ability land that gave your creatures uh, Death Touch and Lifelink. And I figured out I, I, that switching those for um, Slayer's Stronghold was like a pretty big improvement in your deck that was full of one one ones just because giving plus two plus oh was really really powerful um and and that that felt really good i played a bunch of grand prix with it and had you know a couple a couple of near near top eight misses with it uh early in my magic career and and thought it was just like an awesome deck to play i really enjoyed it um i also yeah had a switcheroo sideboard plan that involved like sideboarding in some really big stuff like obsidat and 
what's the name of the it's like assemble the legion i think is that the name yeah, of the boros and shaman, shaman. Mm-hmm. yeah that, that involves siding in those cards to sort of go over the top of people who are like trying to tragic slip your falcon wrath aristocrats or whatever and and i thought that was a really fun sideboard strategy all right benjamin choose a deck all right there's there's a lot of Eldrazi decks on here, so you guys are just going to have to bear with me. <laughs> um, so the next deck I have on my list is Red Green Eldrazi. And I sort of feel like Sam is identifying these his, his favorite decks by like, oh, this was like a, a cool deck in my development as a Magic player. Like, this is the first time I did X. This is the first time I did Y. I feel like for me, my decks are more like just showcasing my favorite cards to play with. And in this case, that card is Eldrazi Obligator. Um, I, I love Lava Axe cards. I love stealing. Wait, so you get to love Eldrazi Obligator and I don't get to love Zealous Conscripts? No, no, you can love Zealous Conscripts. I, I'm just saying, like, from the way you talked about your deck, it seemed like that was your motivation. And there's nothing wrong with that. Okay. Like, I just, All right. I just, I, just, I just felt attacked. Oh, no, you shouldn't feel attacked. I think you, you know, you're, you're telling us stuff about yourself, Sam. It's very revealing and very, very important. It has a lot of import. Wow, now I feel exposed. For the record, I also love Zealous Conscripts. That card is friggin' cool. Yeah, it's um, really awesome. Eldrazi Obligator is similar to Zealous Conscripts in that it helps you steal wins out of nowhere. But, you know, you can also just play it for the front side. And it's it's like a nice little kicker card. Um, and it's just one of my threat threatens. I've always loved them. I've always loved dealing a bunch of damage out of nowhere. And the Red Green Eldrazi deck is good enough that I've played it twice at different points in time. Once when I of Ugin was legal, I played it in a Magic Online tournament. Um, and the idea being that Ancient Stirrings made your deck more consistent. Uh, Lightning Bolt was good against Eldrazi Displacer. And Eldrazi Obligator was good against Reality Smasher. And Grove of the Burnwells also made your mana base way more consistent than the other two-color Eldrazi decks whose mana bases were much worse when you were playing eight colorless lands instead of the four that the Bantel Jossie deck played later on. Um, so yeah, I played it that time, and then also much later when we were practicing for a Pro Tour, I sort of revisited the idea after Bloodbraid Elf got unbanned. Um, and so Ivugan was banned at this time, but now it was more like sort of like a Bantel Jossie shell, but instead of the blue card, the blue-white cards you were just playing Red cards, you got to play Lightning Bolt, Eldrazi Obligator, um, Bloodbraid Elf, which was a, just a really powerful card. I ended up not playing that deck because I was a little scared of humans. Like Reflector Mage was a big problem. Um, Mantis Rider was a big problem. Um, but I know that Gregor's Kowalski got, uh, did well at the Pro Tour and either won or got second at a Grand Prix. I think he won. He got first, yeah. Yeah. That probably, it, it is probable that Red Green Eldrazi propelled him into the MPL that year. Nice. Go Red Green Eldrazi. But yeah, oh, this I thought is, go uh, Greg, but I guess you value the decks more than your friends. I get it. Yeah, definitely. Was, <laughs> that, was there a question? No, but you know, th- this this type of deck, it's it's got Thought Not Seer, which is my, you know, my bay. And then we've got the supporting cast of, like, Noble Hierarch or Birds of Paradise. I forget which I played. I think I actually played Noble Hierarch just because Exalted is busted. Um, Eldrazi Obligator, Reality Smasher, Lightning Bolt, Ancient Stirrings. 
Yeah, I don't know. I love that deck. I had to pick one Eye of Ugin deck, I felt like, and it was between this one and Blue-Red Eldrazi, and I ended up picking this one, even though even though I also... There's a, there's a special place in my heart for Blue-Red Eldrazi. Ben, one thing I really appreciate about you is that you love Threatens, but you don't require them to go with Sack Outlets. You just... You just yeah, like them at face value. You just you just want to threaten your opponent's creatures. You don't need anything more than that. Yeah, of course not. I, I really appreciate that. Just damage, my friend. Yeah, just, I mean, you, you, just you just want to get them. Obviously, they're better with sack outlets. I'm not I'm not opposed. If there's good sack outlets, I'll play them. But I, I ain't about to just cut Eldrazi Obligator from my deck just because I don't have Witches Oven. Yeah, I, I, I love it. It's a very honest magic. I agree. All right, Benjamin, pick something that you think is dishonest magic, though. Tell us about a deck you don't Dishonest like. magic? Oh, man. So the modern Urza Oko deck. So this was when Oko was legal, and it was just like Urza, Arkham's Astrolabe, and then, like, depending on who you ask, like Ice Fang Quaddle or, like, Archmage's Charm and, like, some Metallic Rebukes and then, like, Mishra's Baubles and Emery's. And Urza's and Oko's, like, I hated that deck. It was really good. Don't get me wrong. It was very, 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 very good. Because, But I hate playing with Oko. I hate what Oko does to formats. And, like, honestly, playing with a bunch of cantrips and, like, eight busted cards didn't really make for that compelling games, I felt. Like, there were a lot of games where I felt like I just wasn't doing anything except I, like, countered one of my opponent's spells... And I was just like drawing a bunch of cards and eventually I was like, oh, I draw Urza. All right, play Urza. Now I have 16,000 mana and you're just dead. And I don't know. As much as Oko gives you a lot of interesting decisions, I think a lot of the time those interesting decisions just don't end up mattering because the card itself is just so busted. Like I would say like 90% of the time or whatever. Um, so I don't... I just I didn't like playing with that deck. I'm I'm I disagree with you. Or well, I don't love it, but we we, we I think we both only played this deck in one tournament. Is that right? We both yeah, played it at the the team SCG we played together. I practiced with it a bit as well, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. So did I. But like, not you didn't play it in any events. No, um, just the team SCG. Yeah, I thought that this deck was much less objectionable than the other kinds of Oko decks that were around, like in Standard or Pioneer or whatever. Um, I thought that this one at least, like, you had Cryptic Command, so you could get the game over with, because you could just kill your opponent with all these, you know, all these stupid Elks you were making. Um, yeah, I, I thought this was among Oko decks, and I, I have no love for Oko. I did not enjoy playing with that card very much. Uh, I thought this was among the more palatable ones. I guess it also might be that you don't play as many Oko mirrors in modern as you did in other formats. So maybe that is what made it more fun for me. But I didn't think that this deck was like nearly as bad as as Oko Standard or Oko Pioneer. I think honestly, like I hated Oko Standard, but the fact that we put Fae of Wishes in our deck for that tournament really saved it for me. Like, I think Fae of Wishes is a really cool card, and I had a lot of fun with that one specifically. So I think I hated the standard format more, and I think I agree with you that those decks were were 
less fun to play with. But God, I hate Arkham's Astrolabe so much. And like, God, I hate Mishra's Bobble so much. It's just so much movement for such little. True. To like, me, those and, ones were at least salvaged a little bit by I actually really like Urza. I think Urza's really fun to play with. I don't really like Urza, to be honest. I think the power level is a little high and just like all the fiddling you have to do with the things and you'd like I'll flip a random card or like Oh, it was a Narcom's Astrolabe. I'll draw another <laughs> card. Like I don't know. I, I'm not a huge Urza fan. I don't. I don't think it's like object. Like, I, it's not to the point where I'm objecting to it on like moral grounds. But I don't like it. That's fair. It's pretty fiddly. All right. Um, let's do Sam pick a deck. All right. I. I'm going to talk about an Oko deck that I had even less fun playing than than Urza Oko, which was uh, Legacy Oko Green Sun Zenith Once Upon a Time mashup. Uh, <laughs> that sounds like all my favorite cards. <laughs> I like Green Sun Zenith. That card's pretty fun. No, it's not. Oh, I, I think Green Sun Zenith is fun. I saw Sam Black play this deck at, uh, I think it was like, I, I don't know, some local-ish uh, legacy tournament that he won or got second at or something. I don't know. And I, I thought it looked kind of fun. And I went to a local legacy tournament, which I you know hadn't done basically ever before here in Denver and played it and really, really, really did not enjoy myself. Uh, I really didn't like playing a bunch of Oko mirrors, even though obviously I felt like reasonably well suited to win them. I just thought they were so boring especially because the way that they played out in Legacy felt a lot more small ball and felt like it was revolved a ton around Veil of Summer as opposed to, like, Cryptic Command being a big play that could force through a bunch of damage or something. It was just all about, like, slowly grinding out Okos over the course of the game. And, yeah, it was it was definitely just not for me. Um, I, I probably will not... Well, I guess now Luris is the thing in Legacy. People don't actually play Oko anymore. But once Luris is banned, I probably won't play Legacy until Oko is also banned. Is Oko legal in Legacy? Oko is legal in Legacy, yes. Really? I believe so. That's bizarre. Wait, is it? <laughs> Man, th- this is... <laughs> um, I'm like <laughs> I'm like 80... I'm like 90% sure it's still legal. I don't think they... I don't remember them banning it. I, I, I believe it. All yeah, right, it's, it's legal in Legacy. I just looked it up. Oko Thief of Legacy, the Legacy yep. Vintage and Commander are where Oko is legal. How about that? Who would have guessed besides... Yeah, I, I feel like Legacy is sort of underwater in two ways. Like, they have to ban Luris and then also have to ban Oko before it will be a format that I'm particularly interested in playing again. Uh, they're just never going to get me, so I don't think they should cater to my whims. They'd have to ban, like, five cards that people who play legacy love so i think it's best i just admit i just we we just all agree that legacy is not the format for me yeah i I like an occasional legacy tournament not you know it's not my bread and butter or anything but every now and then it's all right all right benjamin tell us about something that is your bread and butter 
Ooh, my bread and butter. Well, I can tell you about the first first deck that earned me bread and butter. Like the first that. deck I ever did well at a big constructor tournament with was Bant Ojatai. I think so. This deck I think was a collaboration of you and Craig Wesco, Sam. Uh, not exactly. Craig Wesco played it at a PT, and it was it lined up happened to line up really well against the field. Like it was really good in the against uh, Esper Dragons and. Abzan, I think, were the two big decks at the time. And then I saw I saw it, asked him about it, talked to him a little bit, and played it at Grand Prix Krakow the next weekend and top aided and had a really good time playing it. It almost made my list. I actually kicked it off because Ben had it here. Um, and then Craig and I worked on it a little more. And I, I think, did, did you talk to me about it, Ben? I don't even remember. I was talking mostly to Neil. It's possible Neil was talking to you? Yeah, definitely. I think I think we were working with Neil at the time for PTs and stuff. So I'm pretty sure that that was that, that, that okay. did happen. I knew you and Craig were involved somehow. Yeah. Um, so we, we worked on it a little bit for that grand prix and then for future grand prix. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't go to, to pro tour dragons of Tarkir. It's the only one that I missed since I got on the pro tour. Um, pretty lucky. It's <laughs> <laughs> not a place that I enjoyed visiting. Oh, smart, smart Ben. Um, but I played this. This was the first deck that I got a Grand Prix top eight with. I actually beat Craig Wesco in my winning in to get there. And so we were like, it was, it was sort of funny. We were talking about how, you know, that he was, I was going to beat him with his own deck or whatever. Um, he was playing a different deck at the time. Uh, but this deck had, it had Ojitai, it had like Corsair of Crufix, Den Protector. Disdainful Stroke in the main deck, like Valorous Stance in the main deck, um, Deathmist Raptor to bring back when you unmorphed things. Deathmist Raptor, uh, one of the most Wesco cards to ever Wesco. Yeah. Deathmist Raptor almost nearly tore my testing team apart at that Pro Tour because we had Josh Utter Layton and Josh McLean. And then Josh Utter Layton's nickname is obviously Raptor. And it just got very confusing very quickly. Yeah, it does sound confusing. <laughs> yeah, I can see how there's just no way to continue from there. Yeah, someone had to go. <laughs> but like this, this deck was so cool because it had the tools to grind people out. Like Death Mist Raptor is a very grindy card, and like the some of the good decks at the time were playing like pretty big ground creatures, like Siege Rhino or like Anafenza and stuff like that. So like a three three Death Touch, that a recursive three three Death Touch was pretty good. Um, and then you also had Den Protector to like loop your interactive spells. That was, I think, the thing I liked most about the deck was that you had a really small number of interactive spells, but if your spells were good in a matchup, you would get to cast them like multiple times. Like that, that really showcased the power of Den Protector. Um, and then also the deck like had a little bit of Planeswalker value. It was playing this combo of Dragonlord Ojatai and Ajani. Uh, Steadfast? Is that the name of it? Yeah, Johnny Steadfast, which can give a creature lifelink and vigilance. And if you ever assembled Dragonlord Ojitai into Johnny Steadfast, you would win the game. Because your opponent, you would attack with an un, uh, a hexproof, lifelinking, vigilant 6 5. First strike. Would, first strike that would then get you a card from the top three. Like, Stormbreath Dragon was the only way that anyone could ever deal with that. Um,. And Stormbreath Dragon was a big problem. <laughs> Let me tell you. Uh, so that deck, um, it, it also just had some really cool plays that came up in the tournament. I remember I 
I had a hornet nest in my sideboard, partially as a way to deal with Stormbreath Dragon. And I would Dramokas. There was one round where I Dramokas commanded, put a plus one plus one counter on my opponent's Atarka, and then had it fight my hornet nest. I get nine hornets. <laughs> I feel like you're, there's a card you didn't mention that I thought was really fun in the deck too, Ben. Uh, which is Mastery of the Unseen. Was there Mastery of the Unseen in the deck? Uh, there wasn't the version I played. Did you not? Maybe, maybe you didn't play it. Maybe we did. I don't entirely remember. I would have to go look it up. Um, I guess I have the link. Here. I have the list here. Uh, you did not have Master of the Unseen. Yeah, okay. no, I did. I did. Oh. I had two. I had two in my main deck. <clears throat> Two Mastery of the Unseen. Okay, and the other two drops were like Fleece Main Lion, Sylvan, Karyatid. Okay, well, I had two Dramokas Command in my main deck. Okay, and two more on the sideboard. Uh, but yeah, Mastery of the Unseen is a really cool card. You can pay four mana to, morph, to manifest the top card of your library. So you, <clears throat> But the deck had so many good creatures that like you were pretty likely to hit a good one. And like when you, it also just hel- helps you play really long games against the more aggressive decks, and there were a lot of aggressive decks. Because you could gain a, a bunch of life back, which was really important. But I think I think my favorite part about this deck was just the Den Protector, like reusing sideboard cards or reusing um, your like small number of high value interactive cards. Uh, I don't know. The, the the games were so interactive and and like long but not too long, like just the right amount of length. I would say to have this like medium <clears throat> heavy interaction grind amount sort of thing. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, that that deck was so fun. I loved playing it. All right, my next deck to talk about is Standard Mono Blue Eldrazi. So this was, um, I think it was also a Magic Origins deck, which uh, it was a. It was, this is a, a, of course, a Mono Blue deck with like Dimensional Infiltrator, Matter Reshaper, Eldrazi Sky Spawner. Thought Not Seer, Whirler Rogue, uh, and you had these four Ghost Fire Blades that you'd put on your creatures, and then you'd have Stubborn Denials that were turned on either by the, the Thought Not Seers or just by whatever was holding the Ghost Fire Blade. Um, and you could sideboard into, like, Disdainful Strokes against decks or uh, Spatial Contortions. And this deck was, really, it was a really fun one. This is one of the ones that, like, I, you know did some developing of potentially at the same time as other people, but uh, me and, and Neil, former host of the show, uh, were, yeah, did some work on this deck and um, played some of it in standard. I don't know. My, my, my first take on this deck was very, very, very bad, but it, uh, I'm not sure, Ben, do you, if you remember when I like sent it to the, the podcast chat in Facebook and it was like, it just it wasn't playing like Shivan Reefs or Yamamaya Coasts, which are just like pure upside in the deck, and uh, it's playing like a just brutally wrong amount of lands entirely. I feel like I remember thinking that the deck would be horrible, and then being, but then somehow I got convinced to play it in a mox at some point. So yeah. I, I don't quite remember exactly what happened, but. Yeah, episode 37 of our podcast, actually, if you want to go back all the way through the archives, it was uh, us doing a, a deck tech on it. And... Uh, 37? Is that exactly 200 episodes ago? 
Almost. We're episode 239 uh, now, so 202, 202 episodes ago. That's four years ago, right? Yeah. Like about 52 weeks in a year, and we, we do about 50 shows We do shows about a show a, a week, yeah. Yeah. So four years ago. Jeez. Yeah. Wow, we've been doing this podcast for a long time. Yes, we have. Um, but yeah, this deck, very, very fond memories, and kind of the only deck I've ever done, like, deck building on. Really? All right, uh, let's see. We got... Four decks left for Ben to talk about. That is the most of anybody. So, Ben, you got to talk about the next one. Oh, well, as long as we're talking about monocolored Eldrazi decks. <clears throat> Here's my <laughs> other Eldrazi Displacer deck, which is Mono White Eldrazi. I played this deck in multiple Pro Tours, separated by, I think, a, a year. It was either a year or a half year, something like that. Um, but this was like an Eldrazi Displacer, Thought Not Seer, Avacyn deck the first iteration had like smuggler's copter and thraven inspector because smuggler's copter was broken um and i was playing main deck fragmentize because i thought smuggler's copter was broken <laughs> and uh and a lot of people were playing aetherworks marvel at that pro tour also so i sort of i had a i had a decent little squeeze in uh fragmentize and thought not seer where if they didn't have the six energy right away they had to choose to either expose their marvel to one of those two pieces um and then I played this again later on when after those cards were all banned. Um, and that deck was like more of a mid-range deck and less of an aggro deck. So it had, uh, well, man, like, it had like Sky Sovereign in it and like had the 2-3 Eternalized Game Life card in the sideboard because like Mono Red was good back then. Um, but yeah, this this sort of strategy... I guess this is this is if, if it's gonna showcase a card and I'm not allowed to showcase Eldrazi Displacer or Thought Knots here again, I guess this one would be showcasing Avacyn. Avacyn is one of my favorite cards and like the play patterns with that were really cool. Like you could try to bluff Avacyn or um you know, you could do some crazy things with like Eldrazi Science. Like I had spawning bed in my deck, so I could like play Avacyn next turn, sack spawning play spawning bed, sack it, get a get a Scion, and then I can flip Avacyn like that. You can also like use Eldrazi Displacer with Archangel Avacyn to flip it multiple times, or like to protect your Displacer from getting cleared up by the Avacyn sweep. And there's just a lot of interesting, cool um, stuff like that as a mid-range deck that I really enjoyed playing with. And I also just thought at the time it was good. It was a good meta call at at least one of the times I played it because. Mono Red was really good, and I thought my deck was quite good against Mono Red. Um, and I also thought it was good against Teamer Energy. Like, the two good decks were Mono Red and Teamer Energy, and I thought that different parts of my deck were good against both. So I liked it um, as a meta call. And, you know, I, I, I like to deck build, and I think this is one of the better decks that I've ever built. So I, uh, I really enjoy this one. This deck also kind of had a resurgence after you played it, right? Like, it... Uh... It showed up again at some Grand Prix, and I think some people even played it at the at PT Tower of Devastation. Is that right? There was a PT. Well, Hour of the Devastation was the time I, the second time I played it, I believe. Oh, did you play it? I thought for some reason I thought that you didn't. No, I did. It was me and Scott. I think you didn't. You didn't get um, the the mono red memo. No, I, I knew that Mono Red was good, but I, I played my deck because I thought it was good against Mono Red. Um, I think I overestimated how good it was against Mono Red, and I wish I had played Mono Red, but 
I, I thought my deck was a good, was a fine choice. Um, but you're right that like people like I think Seth and Brad picked it up and Corey for uh, for a Grand Prix like a few weeks after that, um, after it had been worked on some more by, by some other people. Uh, so yeah, it, it definitely has popped up from time to time just because Avison is a really powerful card, <laughs> and so is Eldrazi's Displacer. All right, Sam, you are up next. All right, my next deck up is Hardened Scales. And um, this was a deck that used its namesake card, Hardened Scales, alongside Arcbound Ravager, uh, an Arcbound Worker, Steel Overseer, Walking Ballista, and a Hangerback Walker to create some really complicated board states where often your opponent would hang themselves because they didn't realize... Yeah that they were dead if they ever tapped out or whatever the thing was. Yeah, or, like, didn't block all your creatures or who knows. Um, But I I thought this deck was super, super, super fun to play. Uh, It was really decision-intensive. Like, Arcbound Ravager is just one of the most interesting cards to play with. And this deck sort of even, I would say, took Arcbound Ravager to a higher, a, a, a more decision-intensive level even than Affinity. Um, and I, I thought this deck was just unbelievably fun. I, I I also really enjoyed it because Matt and I built it for a Pro Tour. Uh, the one... I think the one where Ben built Red Green Eldrazi. Is that right? I think so. Um, we ended up deciding not to play it because we were a little, little cowardly. Um, and also, I think we, we hadn't really gotten it to the point where it was good enough yet. Um, and then at that point we were like, okay, well we're not playing this in the PT. Let's just like stream with it and, you know, play it, play it for fun and did some streams with it. And then it sort of ended up catching on a little bit and becoming a real deck that people played. And I thought that was like pretty awesome. Just sort of that progression was, was really fun and cool. It's had, that deck has had a lot of haters over the years. Like a lot of people who say that it's not, it wasn't playable. And I remember one of them just like was making fun of people playing hardened scales, and he this person was like, "Wow, like I can't believe they're playing Matt Nass's joke deck. Like that's the deck that he just he he played when he didn't want people to know what he was playing." And uh, yeah, I don't know. I I thought that was kind of funny that it, it caught on the way that it did. I I also love hardened scales for what it's worth, and yeah, I played it in, in the pro tour that we all played it in the the more recent one. Yeah, PT London. The, it's the funny because talking about that you first built it for, I actually ended up playing Affinity, so it would have been really nice if you guys had figured that hardened scale stuff out a little bit faster. Yeah, I think we were missing uh, the module in it. That was one of the one of the big things that we didn't have that would have been really good to have. Um, but the yeah, it was funny. Matt like Matt and I worked a lot on this deck. We played just tons of it because it was really fun to play outside of tournaments. And then I think he and I think I guess Matt played it in two p in two tournaments. A PT and a team Grand Prix, and I played it in just a t- just the PT. So I, like, I never, I didn't really get to play with it for a, given how long it was like a pretty decent deck. Uh, I didn't really get to play with it all that much, which is kind of funny. Yeah, you did get to play with it a lot on stream, though. Definitely, yeah, we played played it a ton in various like uh, online leagues and modern challenges and stuff like that. Yeah, the, the other nice thing about. Okay. The other nice thing about this stream I remember is that like either you or BK would be like, oh, are they dead? And you'd be like, yes, obviously. They're like, I don't know. Like, maybe they are, maybe they're not. Like, well, let's do the count. 
and you'd count it up and you'd have like 52 damage or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're, yeah. A common yeah, thing they're really like, dead. Are they dead? And we're like, no, Matt, that's stupid. Obviously, they're not dead. And then we do it like, oh, yeah, actually, they're extremely dead. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Benjamin, you are up. Tell us your last favorite deck. My last favorite deck is the most recent deck on this list, actually. It's Black Red Fires. So this is another... A lot Most a lot of my favorite decks are decks that I sort of directly had a hand in building. Um, and this is this is no different. This was a, like a Fires of Invention combo deck um, where the combos were either like Mayhem Devil Bantu or Cavalier of Flame Bantu. And then obviously Cavalier of Flame Fires of Invention is just... Everyone by now knows that that's a really good combo. Um, and the deck would basically use, uh, Stormfist Crusader and Midnight Reaper to, like, draw cards in order to assemble enough permanence or to find your combo. And then it was also, like, a Cat Oven deck with Mayhem Devil. So it was kind of playing, like, a bunch of, it was sort of a fusion of multiple different standard decks and, like, being a Cat Oven Fires deck. But, like, those pieces don't work particularly well together but you could draw, like, either half of them and your deck would be really powerful. Like, either you could draw Witches Oven, Familiar, and Mayhem Devil, and that would be really good, or, like, or like Midnight Reaper or whatever. Or you could draw, like, the Fires of Invention, Cavalier of Flame stuff, and that could be really good. Um, and I actually, I just found the deck so fun to play that I had no tournaments coming up whatsoever, and I was just playing it on the arena ladder, and I got all the way to number two, and I even I think I even think I won a game at number two, but then I didn't get to number one. Apparently, you have to win like ten games in a row at number two or whatever. So I'm probably just never. That's probably just going to be the highest I ever get on the arena arena ladder. I really did want number one because it sort of feels like a special achievement. But as time goes on, I think like being number one on the arena ladder once is sort of diminishing in value. So I don't really feel like I care anymore. So I think I'll just I'll just resign with number two being the highest I ever get. But the Black Red Fires deck. I think was a lot of fun, similar to Harden Scales, in that you had a lot of like sort of weird, crazy lines, which would just result in your opponent dying. Like a lot of your opponents just didn't realize how close to dead they were. If you have a Fires of Invention in play, or if you have a ca- like a Cavalier Flame, or a May- or even just a Mayhem Devil in play, like you could go like Fires of Invention. Like the co- one of the coolest things is that you could cast Bantu as your second spell floating a bunch of mana from your lands, and then you can sacrifice the Fires of Invention and then also all the lands to the Bantu. And now you can cast spells again because the Fires is gone. So you basically got 10 free mana on that turn, but you had to sacrifice a bunch of permanents. Um, but like maybe you drew like a Witch's Oven, so you could play the Witch's Oven, play a creature, give them all haste, attack, and then sacrifice your Cavalier post-combat to deal like a bajillion damage or whatever. Um... But yeah, Mayhem Devil is one of my more favorite cards, and it just had a lot of cool interactions, combos there. Um, it, the jur- you know, I don't know how good the deck actually ended up being. I thought it was quite good, but it's possible that my opponents were just on the softer side. I know that John Rolfe played it in a tournament and promptly went 4 <laughs> uh, which is not great, obviously, but... I will always fondly remember this deck as the time where I think maybe for the a period of a day and a half I, I had broken it, um, and it was just like a really, really, really fun deck to play. All right, uh, Sam, tell us about 
your last favorite deck. All right, my last favorite deck is Green Black Grimflare. Um, in particular, I would say the version that had Winding Constrictor and uh, and Nissa. Nissa's one of my all-time favorite cards to play with. Uh, the, the, that's three-mana Nissa, the voice of Zendikar. Um, I thought that was, like, one of the most criminally underrated Planeswalkers during its legality and standard. It was just so strong, and it had a lot of interesting play to it where you sort of had to decide, like, you'd build up this wide board by continuing to plus it and get plants, and then you had to decide whether you wanted to keep going and try to hit the ultimate or, like, cash in and start to grow your plants, like Avenger of Zendikar style. Um, And I thought it was just super, super fun to play with. I felt like I had figured out the format in a way that a lot of other people didn't. Like, a lot of people kept putting a tune with Aether in their green-black decks, and I kept playing with... uh, with Traverse the Uvenwald, and then we'd play long games, and they draw a tune on turn eight, and I'd draw Traverse, and I would win easily because of that. Um, and I just thought there was, like, a ton of small deck-building things you could do to make your deck better in certain matchups. Um, it didn't feel like you had any sort of, like, runaway matchups where you just beat, beat people badly, but all of your games were close and interesting, and you got to play with cards that mostly seemed pretty fair, um, Obnixilis Reignited was in the sideboard, and that's also one of my like all-time favorite Planeswalkers in terms of I think being at just like just the right power level where it has moments where it's really really powerful, it has moments where it's not very good, and it's just really I, I think that card's just really fun to play with. So I, I really loved playing this deck. I feel like you tried to trick you, not trick me. I feel like there were a few times when you wanted me to play some sort of green-black deck for for a Grand Prix, and then I tried playing it on Magic Online, and I would just go like 0-3, and I'd be like, Sam, this deck is awful, and you'd just, you'd just be like, what? I'm like 19-1 and with it right now. Like, what are you talking about? Didn't I do well at those Grand Prix with the deck, probably? Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure you did. You're a good Magic player in playing a deck you like, but for some reason, they just never really clicked for me. I don't know. Yeah, me and me and Grimflare are just on the same level for some reason. I don't I don't know exactly what it is, but I also love that card. It, it's like, it's 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 one of my favorite creatures with a trigger that happens when you hit the opponent because those cards can be super snowbally, but Grimflare is like just the right amount where it doesn't actually draw you a card. Like it kind of sometimes can leave you up on cards if you mill over like a Lingering Souls or whatever, but mostly it's just like lets you set up your tools for the next turn, but if you pick wrong, you could end up leaving yourself in a spot where you've picked tools that will not work at all, uh, let you do some shenanigans with, like, you know, if you had cards, if you had, like, clues from Tireless Tracker, you, like, get to stack your deck first and then draw the cards from your clues. Just had a lot of, like, little interactions that I thought were really fun. Yeah, it didn't feel like one of those advantage engines that you can't get out from under, though, which to me is a really, really nice place to be compared to some of what runs standard these days yes definitely all right my final deck here is uh you know if for for our host who is no longer part of our show this one's for neil oliver is standard five color blue dragons uh so back uh back when we were back when neil was on the show and was playing a lot of magic he he won back-to-back years of WMCQs, and one of the years it was with this five-color blue dragons list, uh, which it originated, I think, from Mike Flores. Um, in a you know, a, and then a couple, a couple months later, Neil iterated on it a little further. And this is a like it's it's a Crucible of the Spirit Dragon, Haven of the Spirit Dragon, 
which both can cast uh, dragons of any color. And then everything else is just blue sources and some, some blue-white duels. But then it's got, like, Dragonlord Atarka, Dragonlord Silumgar. Uh, it's, it's got... The creatures are just, like, seven total Dragonlords and four hammerback, hangerback walkers. Uh, and then just a bunch of, like, control cards of various kinds. You know, divinations and, uh, and opportunities and, uh, you know, counterspells. Counterspells to go with his Crucible of the Spirit Dragon? Yeah. Yeah, he's playing Silumgar Scorns uh, and Ojitai's Commands, Valorous Stances, Dig Through Time, Ugin the Spirit Dragon, Perilous Vault. Uh, so just an all-around awesome deck to see. Um, and yeah, it was <laughs> it was really really fun to watch him play it. Um, and I'm not I'm not sure what decks he would have picked if he was here. We didn't ask him, um, but. This I think was my my some of my favorite memories of Neil playing a deck were this one. So um. yeah, I remember um, watching him because they were streaming the WMCQ. Yeah, and I remember we were all like super hyped for him to win a second in a row, which is like totally unreasonable, right? Yeah. Um, and he played so many vigilant Dragonlord Dramokas in the in the like top eight matches. And when I say Vigilant Dragonlord Dramokas, what I mean is that he would attack with one, and then he would play a second one. Yeah. <laughs> because his, his back was against the wall against some aggro deck, and he's just like, all right, I need to cash this in for the five life. Like, let's go. Yeah, four green-white, you gain five life. Powerful card. <laughs> yeah. it's just... But, like, it worked. He, like, barely won a really close game, and it was just so cool. Uh... You know, Neil is like one of the the people that like inspired me to play com- like more competitively, and I was just so psyched to see him uh, get to go to that stage again. Yeah, I think there's probably some deck that we talked or some episode that we talked about this as well sometime, probably around episode like seventy ish. I don't know. Um, I actually don't have the number right in front of me for this one, but I'm sure at some point we talked about that. So, um, yeah. Awesome one. All right, let's close out by talking about some of the uh, the least favorite decks that we didn't quite get to uh, so far. So, Sam, you have one more least favorite deck to complain about real quick. Yeah, this was the Mono Blue War of Invention Prison deck in Modern. Um, I played it at a Grand Prix after playing it to some decent success online, uh, and I just had the worst time playing it. Like, it's, it's an ensnaring bridge, lock deck, that was trying to use Chalice of the Void. And I just felt awful playing it because I felt like my opponents weren't really having any fun. And also they were, like, I ended up getting two draws in the event, which is, like, just was very, very frustrating. They were in games that I was winning easily where I felt like if we had chess clocks, you know, I wouldn't have been even close to timing out. Um, It just... the. It was not a good time at all. I really regretted playing this deck at a tournament. I wish I had just played like a normal creature attacking deck kind of thing. It just felt like this was was not good at all. Yeah, the, for me, this reminds me of uh, Lantern Control, a deck. That yeah, would... it's it's very similar. Yeah, that deck certainly um, goes on my you know hall of shame for uh, just what it what it does to tournaments. Benjamin, you have the final deck to complain about. Um, this was a deck I played at Pro Tour. This was like a green-white aggro deck featuring one of Sam's favorite cards, Nissa. 
Uh, but the problem with it was that it was also featuring like Toolcraft Exemplar. Um, and it was like a, and a walking ballista. It was just the mana was awful. Uh, you're trying to play this white card on turn one, this GG card on turn two, and like also had Avacyn in it. So it was like a WW card on turn five. And it was just, it had no interaction. Like Sahili, wait, was was Felidar Guardian legal for that Pro Tour? Uh, yeah, it was. It was the first was, Pro right? Tour where that combo was legal. It was the Mardu Vehicles Pro Tour. Yeah, yeah, it was the Mardu Vehicles. Yeah. So, like, I was playing a green-white deck with basically no interaction. The only way I could stop the Felidar Guardian combo was with Walking Ballista. And that deck was very popular. And I just felt like my deck was horrible. And it was, like, it doesn't really do anything that I usually like my decks doing. Like, the only thing that it had that was powerful was going, like, Toolcraft Exemplar into Artifact. But, like, you could do that if you just played Martyr Vehicles. Um, and, yeah, so the play pattern, I didn't really feel like I had a lot of decisions in my deck. And I was just playing, like, a, a, a dumb aggro deck with, like, no hand... No way to spend... Well, it had Walking Bliss to spend excess mana, but, like, didn't have very good ways to spend excess mana and, like, very reliant on your opening hand and, like, no staying power. And despite that, we, like, put a bunch of five and six mana cards in our main deck and sideboard. And, yeah, I hated that deck. It was awful. I did very badly with it. (laughs) All right. That is about it for our main topic this week. Sam, would you like to close this out with a story? Yeah, so this is uh, a story that comes to us from from quarantine here in Denver. Um, In the kitchen where we live, we have sort of this bank of lights that go above. There's like a, the the kitchen has sort of an island in the center with a stove and a a counter behind the stove. And there's a bank of four lights that run above it that take kind of unusually shaped light bulbs. So they're like these weird, they have these weird bases and you have to like, they're, they're hard to come by. And, you know, we haven't been doing a ton of shopping. We go grocery shopping maybe once every two weeks and we have like a big list and get all the things we need. And uh, uh, Matt, Matt Nass and Josh McLean just recently went shopping and all four of these lights have burnt out for us at this point. So there are still lights in the kitchen. There's still the overhead lights, but these ones hang down um, and they're all burnt out. So that light switch currently doesn't do anything. And Matt and Josh brought one of these light bulbs with them, specifically went to Ace Hardware to try to pick up these lights because, you know, we, we, we weren't sure what they were called or how to order them on Amazon. Um, got one. They, they, they only had one pack of these lights. They had exactly one. So we were going to get to change one light bulb. And then today, as Josh McLean is trying to change the light bulb, the first thing he does is drop it and shatter it on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> So, as a matter of fact, we got to change zero. That is going to be all for us this week. We will unite again next week for more Allied Strategies. We're just waiting on dear Tristan to return. I'm here. Oh, are we good to go? Looks like it. Man. All right. Benjamin, you ready? Yeah. Sam, you ready? Yes. Did you have another story? Yes. Sam already has one that we were going to tell. He told us about Benjamin. It would be a problem if I interrupted again. Benjamin.
Benjamin, I need you to let me start the show. <laughs> Benjamin, please. Hello, everybody. And ben, welcome. should we sing? Uh, <laughs> should we sing "Happy Birthday" to Tristan on this oh, episode? God, why me? Oh, we should. Wait, oh. should we sing it to me also, though? No. What the hell? I'm not gonna sing "Happy." Well, I don't think that Tristan should be required to. I didn't ask him. I guess we could sing it to both of you. Eh, I'm fine just ignoring it. I feel like we don't we're not part of the illustrious friends tier. Okay. Yeah, that's true. From them. Sorry that's for true. interrupting, Tristan. Apology <clears> accepted. <throat> Thank you. Hello everybody. Oh, Tristan, welcome. I need a I need a K word for Jarvis. Benjamin, you can select one of your own volition. You don't need me to help you. Is Kenobi from last week? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Mm. You could do Copper Coat. <laughs> that plays. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 239 of Allied Strategies. My you didn't is- think we were going to let you do it, did we? You would have been right. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome. <laughs> he couldn't, he at that time, was quiet. <laughs> Damn it, dude. That was all I really wanted was to get to the point where Tristan couldn't get through it himself. <laughs> <laughs> 